The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 314 for February 7th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you write the agenda, you send in your questions, your tips. We try and answer everything we possibly can. We share a couple of th- things we have learned along the way, and we try and help everybody out. From Durham, New Hampshire, here, I am Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. I'm back in Durham. It's Pilot Pete with you guys again. Thanks Yay. for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you, Pete. We've had, actually, there's a question on the books for you. We'll, we'll get to yeah. it uh, certainly before the end of the show. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's been on the books for a while because you yeah. haven't been here. Yeah. Uh, anything in, in, important to report, John, before we dive right in here? Um, well, no, you know, I got this phone on the way. Yeah. You know, I, I'm paying the price for not ordering, you know, like all the other people that were up at 3 a.m. I'm paying the price because, uh, well, all, or my phone has extra magic because I, I was checking the uh, UPS tracking info. So I was having trouble getting it, but I finally got a notification. So it started in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay. Then it arrived at another point in Westchester. And the report now says that at 6.30 p.m. it's in Philadelphia, which is amazing, Dave, because right now it's about 3.48. <laughs> so my, right. my phone has traveled into the future. Or UPS is having a little well, issue people, there. People say that the iPhone is, uh, is a device from the future. I mean, it's that whole Star Trek thing. So <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. That's reasonable to assume. You know what's funny about that, though, is the iPhone is so much more powerful and capable than the communicators on Star Trek. Absolutely. They had no yeah. imagination, I tell well, you. Well, <laughs> sort of, except yeah. those things could, I mean, they could, you could talk to somebody a long ways away well, with that communicator. Yeah. Well, you could talk to someone on the other side of the world. with. So, yeah, that's yeah, true. so I'm looking that's forward true. to it. Uh, some people have, uh, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, it's just a phone, but maybe the, the RDF will hit me when I get the phone. But uh, it yeah, it, it's great it totally timing will. because... Because my Crazer is is on its last legs, it resets, it it, it freaks out, it uh, it's and it has a it, the the one annoying thing that always annoys me it has proprietary. I have to run this stupid application called Moto Charge in order to charge it via the USB. Right. That they've always played these tricks, so it'll be nice to to have a, a phone that's you know part of the family. Cool. So should try throwing it in the washer, John. See if that fixes that Crazer. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I could do something with all those uh, iPhone cases that I have in all the swag bags I've gotten over that's, the years. That's what you think, except it's <laughs> slightly different, right? Yeah. Well, I got one that looks like just a regular leather holster that I think will that, that work. So yeah. I got to protect it somehow. Yeah. Anyways, let's get down to it. Actually, I want to talk about our, sp- our first sponsor now that we're getting down to it, which is Smile uh, at smilesoftware.com with PDF Pen. PDF Pen. This is yet another one of those pieces of software that I love uh, to talk about. We love to have them sponsor us because I use it all the time and I couldn't imagine not using it. Uh, it. It does a lot of different things. Of course, the things I do with it are pretty simple, but uh, but are things that I could not do otherwise. It's built to be uh, pretty much your Swiss army knife of whatever you'd need to do with PDFs. What I, what I use it for is we get a lot of contracts in and, uh, Years ago, I scanned a copy of my signature and I have that sitting as a uh, JPEG file or a GIF file on my hard drive. And I copy that and I can go into PDF pen and paste that signature right in on top of a contract, save it and uh, and send it back as a PDF to uh, to whoever asked me for it. 
and I, I never had to, I can do it. I I've done it. I, I could and have done it on airplanes, right? It, it totally works fine. And there's no, uh, no problems at all. You can of course reorder PDFs. You can scan the text of a, of an image PDF. If you got say a fax or something, you could pull that into PDF pen, scan it, edit it, uh, save it back out as a PDF. You can make corrections in the text of a PDF, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, you, you can, you can go in and edit the text of a, of a PDF and it will stay in PDF format, uh, which is, which is really cool. Uh, it'll stay, it'll look like, uh, like it's right there. So if you've got some document and you, you don't have the original and you need to make an edit, you're good to go. Uh, you can merge pages together. You can, uh, remove pages. You can take a page from one PDF and put it in another. It's fantastic. It really, really is. Uh, Again, it's smilesoftware.com slash PDF pen. There is, of course, a free trial available. So I encourage you to go download that. And then uh, for $59.95, it's yours. So go check it out. Smilesoftware.com slash PDF pen. And from there, let's take a, uh, a quick little jump over to the Mac Geek Gab Crew forums at MacObserver.com where we have a, an, an interactive kind of thing going on where you a lot of you folks are, are there and you ask your questions. In fact, a lot of you uh, get to people's questions and answer them before John or I even even show up. Uh, and, and I do. I always make a make it a point to check in at least a couple times a week, sometimes more often. But uh, but we've got a couple from the Mac Geek Gap forums today. And we're going to start with this first one from Peter. Peter's writes. I would like to record a BBC TV program to DVD using the BBC's iPlayer. I'm using Snow Leopard. Research on Google seems to show this to be difficult, if not impossible, on a Mac. Has anyone actually tried this? Uh, and we've got a couple thoughts we're going to pass around. The, my initial thought was, yeah, it, you know, there's some things where you just can't extract the video file. It's great if you can save the you know, QuickTime movie or the M4V file or a Flash video file or something to your hard drive. But there's some cases where you just see the video in, in your web browser and there's nothing you can do or, or even worse, you see the video in some custom application. And that's when something like snaps pro X from Ambrosia works really well because it will capture the video as it's coming on your screen and it'll capture the audio uh, as well. So you kind of define a little window, you place that over your video, you start the video playing, you have it capture it and save it out to a QuickTime file and boom, there you've got the, the video saved. So, so that's certainly one way of doing it, but John, you're here. What do you think? I'm here. Yes, I'm here. What do I think? I'm going to tell you what I think. So first off, I tried. It sounded like a player. threat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not threatening. You. You're threatening um, me? <clears throat> yeah. By the way, Beavis and Butthead is coming back. I know. Here. I know my wife was telling me that the other day. It's All fantastic. right. So anyways, what is iPlayer? And iPlayer is something that I actually dabbled with because I found some YouTube videos of a show that I wanted to get a copy of. And iPlayer. So iPlayer, as far as I can tell, is the BBC's flash-like player, because I'm actually, and if, if you want to look at it, Dave, you can go to uh, bbc.co.uk slash iPlayer. Okay. You can get either TV or radio shows. Now, the bad news is that because you and I are the wrong on the wrong side of the pond, none of that content is available to us. I guess it's only available to uh, people in the B. Okay. Uh, part of BBC. <laughs> uh, because I just tried playing something and it says not available in your area, because I guess it checks the IP address and says you're not in the UK or the, or the Britain. Right. And I'm not going to get into the nuances 
chances of whether I got that right or not, I probably blew it. But the problem <laughs> is it says not available That's the in your best area. way to do it. It's just say, oh yeah, I just screwed that up and then move on. It's brilliant. I love that. That's good. Right. Well, I know the UK encompasses more than... The, I'm of course. Yes. All right. Because somebody will correct me. And uh, anyways, no offense to, to anyone. But, but the problem is, is it's a propri- somewhat proprietary player. But as far as I can tell, Dave, I did load some content, video content, and it came up and it said not available in your area. But if I right click on it, in addition to it saying BBC Media Player version 2.24.18269.2. What the? It says about Adobe Flash Player 10. So it's, as far as I can tell, it's really flash content and the nice thing we've talked about this there is there are ways to hijack flash content uh one thing we mentioned is that there are plugins for safari but i don't think that's going to work but dave i found something in mac update okay and it's called bb bbc iplayer downloader and i think its sole purpose in life is to hijack this content and it says here what it does this application is for downloading programs from the bbc iplayer site it downloads h.264 file suitable for iPhone and iPod Touch, and I would imagine any video player. So it's similar to those other things that'll that'll intercept Flash video content and rewrite it out in a file that you can deal with. So that's one answer, and I think that's probably the best, most direct way to get the best quality audio. Though, though what you suggested is certainly possible. Um, you know, Snaps Pro I think is one of the more popular uh, video and audio capture. Uh, options on the Mac. There, there are a few others, though, Dave. I, I did a little Google Foo, and I did find a, an interesting summary of applications that are also claim to be able to capture uh, and, I guess, intercept audio and video. Uh, I, the only one I've tried is Snaps Pro 10 or X. I think it's 10, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, go I mean, There's a that. few others here. I, I see one that actually you and I have in our swag bag, which we should try called ScreenFlow. Yep. Uh, and, and here they say, for whatever reason, that the, the top one here, uh, have you tried this Cam- Camtasia from TechSmith? Camtasia. It, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny. Snaps Pro got so ingrained in my work. And I don't do this a lot, right? But when I have to, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is Snaps Pro. But but I have used Camtasia. And and it in, for this stuff, it is more full-featured than, than Snaps Pro. In fact, Depending on what you need to do, it may be too much or it may be exactly what you're looking for, but uh, but definitely worth checking out. Yeah. yeah. Right. And in my case, what, what I had to do is I actually had one of my many uh, Twitter friends uh, who was over uh, in the UK yeah. or in Britain yeah. actually download it and, and put it on Dropbox for me because, uh, you know, there is region restrictions. Right. Uh, but I won't mention who it is because I don't want to get it busted. So right. that's right. I think that that's the solution to that problem. Cool. All right, moving on to Kirk. Kirk writes, when I restart my Mac, there are usually a few apps that won't shut down properly. A window pops up telling me the restart's been canceled because of these apps. Sometimes it will present me with an option to force quit the app, which I could do anyway. I was wondering if you know a more forceful restart command to use in situations when I'd like to click restart and let that be the end of it. Anything that stands in the way will be force quit automatically. I'm basically looking for a secure empty trash for restarting, meaning a more forceful option when the normal route fails. All right, John, go ahead. I got it, man. You want to put the hammer down? I got the solution for you, Dave. And it involves the terminal, which we've actually gotten a lot of feedback lately uh, from people saying they really like the terminal or like uh, like to dabble in there because it gives you a, a, a lot more options than the finder. Right. And here's the one that I think is. This will restart no matter what, Dave. Nothing will stop it. So what you do is you go to the terminal. And here's a caution, though. What you have to do is do a sudo 
Okay. Space reboot. This, nothing gets in its way. And I verified this. If you type this, Dave, the system will almost immediately restart. Okay. Now, okay. I that answers a, a question I asked you during pre-show, but keep, keep going. Go ahead. Yep. But I think there's a danger to this. Oh, because, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is almost as drastic. I would say the other way to do this is hold down the power button and shut your system down. And then I think that, again. I think that's a little <laughs> more drastic than using the, the reboot uh, command from the terminal. Yeah. But to me, reboot it. I get my comment is that when applications are coming up saying, you know, hold on a sec, you know, I'm, I'm not quite done. To it. There's a reason that they do that for the most part. Right. It's not that they want to get in your way, but they may not be finished cleaning up or saving some things here. So, so I, I got to say using something, either the power button or doing this reboot command, you, you want to, you don't want to make a habit of it because I think there is the potential that you're going to mess something up. Right. Now, you may lose some data. You may, uh, I don't know if you'll, you, you may possibly corrupt the file system. Actually, I don't if, think you, I think this will, I think that command ah, will save right. you from file system corruption that would have occurred if you just turned off the computer. It's, I'm not going to say it's going to save you from file system corruption, but it will save oh, you from actually, that risk of it. Yeah. Well, hold on. No, 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 no. You're okay. Well, uh, according to the man page, it says the halt, and there's another one halt I didn't mention. Yeah. yeah. The halt and reboot utilities flush the file system cache to disk, send all running processes a SIG term. Right. And respectively halt or restart the system. So, so you are correct. Okay. At least if, if we're to trust the man page for this, which of course you we will. go into the terminal and type man space reboot, and it'll tell you this. So, yes, uh, I'll take that back. It yeah. will not cause file system corruption, but you may experience data loss. Correct. Oh, definite. Almost definitely. If you haven't saved, that's right. Yeah. But if you're stuck and nothing is, is, and you want to restart your system and not take the drastic measure of holding the power button, then I think this is a slightly better way, but I think you have a, a even more gentle way, Dave. So, yeah, you know, I, I've been a Unix guy for a long time in, especially so ever since we started Mac observer, because of course, somebody had to manage the servers that we hosted everything on. And, all of these servers have always been remote. We've never hosted it. Any, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen any single one of the servers that uh, that we've hosted Mac Observer on. We, we buy them. We just have them shipped directly to our data center. They plug them into their big fat pipe and their generators and all that other stuff that makes them a valuable business. Uh, and uh, and and then we log in from the command line. So the terminal is very, very you know, important to to us uh, in in that way. And there are times, albeit very infrequently, times when we do need to reboot one of the machines that were that we host on. And the command that I learned years ago, and it works in OS 10, it, it, you know, it's available in this flavor of Unix is a command called shutdown. But it's but it's a little bit uh, different. It's not as simple as just typing uh, sudo shutdown, because of course, the last thing you want to do to a computer that you can't touch is turn it off because then someone has to go turn it on. Right. So this is, this is a very important command. You don't want to fat finger the enter key on this one if you can help it. So as with reboot, uh, you know, you're making system wide changes. So you have to use sudo S U D O, uh, which is super user do meaning do the next command. I tell you as though I were a super user. And of course it's going to ask you for your password to prove that uh, that you are who you say you are. And, and that works fine. But the command I use is sudo space shutdown space dash R space now. 
And what that means is do as super user, the command shutdown dash R means and restart. And that's the, that's the important one when it's, you know, a thousand miles away. Uh, and then now meaning now on my Mac and on a Unix machine or, you know, on a uh, machine that's not running any GUI uh, when I do this, it goes through a whole big, long process of killing off, you know, fr- happily killing and shutting off all of the services that are running, getting it all the way down to the end and then restarting. And it does the same thing on the Mac, uh, but it doesn't ask you. It doesn't prompt you to save anything, but it will happily go quit all your apps uh, and then, you know, pull, come out of the it'll log you out and, and come all the way down and, and then and then restart. Um uh, I haven't done the reboot thing, but it sounds like the shutdown dash R is a little friendlier than, than reboot, but it, it, I have to try it. Um, I do it on my Mac. Listen, either of these options isn't great. I, I I'm with you in that. If this is happening to you regularly, you, you've got to figure out why, because you should be able to quit all of your apps. Uh, and, and if you can't, then there's something wrong either with the apps or, or the system in and of itself. But uh, but sometimes your Mac just gets into a funk and that's it. Uh, I leave my uh, my my SSH, which is a way of getting into the terminal on my Mac uh, available so that I can do this from another machine, because sometimes my Mac will be locked up in terms of my keyboard and my mouse. But if I've thought ahead and gone into sharing or system preferences, sharing and turned on remote login, uh, then I can connect to my Mac from the terminal of another Mac or the terminal of my iPhone. And I do this almost it's almost always done from my iPhone and I connect into the terminal from my Mac or of my Mac from my iPhone. I type that same command, that shutdown command. And uh, and I'm usually able to get my Mac to to shut down that way. Again, it's better than just pulling the plug because it saves you from that potential of file system corruption. That's uh, that's there. So long right. way around. But there you go. Yeah, now I think shutdown also gives a notification, or at least that's what, what mm-hmm. the man page says. So well, it, it gives a notification to anyone logged in at the terminal, uh, which okay. is which which is which is what it's built for, right? I mean, it's you know if, when if if uh, if say Adam and I are both logged into one of our servers and one of us tells it to mm-hmm. reboot, the other guy's going to get a message: Hey, you know, the server's going down for reboot now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it, it tries to give you a little bit of time, but especially if we're using the now instance, it, it, you know, there's not a lot of time, but you can schedule it and, and give people a little bit right. of time and warn them and all that right. stuff. Now, a couple of things occurred to me while you were talking about this. I love how some of these questions are kind of like an onion, but I think it is worth mentioning. <laughs> so one thing is if cake, you recall, I w- cake, cake has layers and it's tastier than onions, you know, parfait, uh, nobody not like parfait. <laughs> Potentially. Now, one thing you mentioned, though, is that you don't want to shut down a machine. Actually, uh, someone had written back. I can't recall who it was because I was talking about ARD a little while ago, Apple Remote Desktop, and was lamenting the fact that my Mac Mini uh, would not support the feature of being able to power it up remotely. And it was pointed out to me that XServe, and I I believe also the Mac Pro, so the the higher-end Macs do support, but I think you have to be on Ethernet, do support remote power up yes so and and i'm not sure about the unix machines that that we have in the racks there if they support that as well so i just thought i'd mention they that do. it, it may be they do. okay so you yeah. can remotely power them on okay so they're yes they're, yes and, and the other thing that occurs to me but, is but you can your mac although it can't be powered on remotely it can be woken up remotely over oh the, yeah over the land oh i do that now i, I yeah. have the thing in sleep 
Right. And, and right. yeah, I can wake it up remotely, which just tickles me, even though it's in the same house. You know, I can <laughs> run upstairs, but. Oh, I do it constantly you know, that, 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 here. It's, it's, it's nothing. Because I don't think sleep really consumes any, any juice. Well, I was even doing back to my Mac when, when I was at a Mac world. Right. I actually enabled that. So, you know, uh, the thrill of being able to access my machine. Yeah, you know, it, this is this is something we've talked about before. But while we're down this rabbit hole, we might as well talk about it. If you. So a couple things first, this, this wake on land thing that we're, we're kind of alluding to Mm -hmm. here is something that's existed in, in computers for a long time. And what it means is you can put your Mac to sleep and then you can send it a magic signal while it's asleep to tell it to wake up. And this magic signal, uh, in, uh, will work on ethernet on just about any Mac and on some of the newer uh, laptops that'll actually work over Wi-Fi. Uh, mm. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It stinks. The only computer I have in the house that'll wake up over Wi-Fi is my daughter's uh, Dell mini 10 V that I've turned into a Hackintosh. It's like, it how come mm. you have this capability? And I don't, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, you can wake it up certainly over ethernet. So in the old days, if I wanted to access a resource on one of my machines from remote, I had to, you know, VPN into my network, tell my router to send, cause it has to come from the same network the eat this magic packet that wakes it up. Tell my router to send a packet to, to wake up the, uh, the thing. And I had to have this special software on my router and blah, blah, blah. And it, it you know, it's fine. So you tell it to wake up and then you go do what you want to do lately though. And by lately, I mean in about the last 18 months, Apple has built this functionality in an automated way into all the Apple routers. So if you have a newer airport extreme or a time capsule, anything released in about the last two years, what it will do is it will look at your Mac before it goes to sleep and say, okay, I see that Mac is offering uh, screen sharing and file sharing and iTunes sharing. Great. It stores that in its little memory banks. And then when your Mac goes to sleep, your Apple router will sit there and act as if it'll masquerade on the network as, as your Mac. So even with your Mac asleep, you'll still see it show up in the sharing list and the finder. If you have file sharing turned on. And when you go to connect, what happens is you actually connect to the router first and the router says, hang on. It sends the magic packet, wakes up the Mac and then passes your request along to it. So your client as a client, and I'm sure this happened with your back to my Mac, John, when you tried to connect from remote, mm-hmm. Your router said, oh, here comes a request. I'm going to go and tell that machine to wake up and pass it through. And you were none the wiser. I mean, it probably you you had oh, a little yeah, there bit was of a delay. There's a little lag as it wakes up, of course. Right. But uh, but otherwise, it just it just works. And that's really cool. I don't know of any other routers out there that are doing this. And it it's a it's a reason to to have an Apple router. And you and to, for the record, it does not need to be your main router. For me, I still have a Linksys as my main network manager, but I have a time capsule that just sits on my network and it performs all these functions, even though it's not the, you know, the, the parent router of the house, if you will. Yep. So, so I was tickled by it. And as far as, and as far as I know, uh, back to my Mac, it incorporates some level of encryption. So there's, there's not, uh, so my traffic, whether it be remote screen or accessing the file server was again, if it, to trust what Apple says about this is encrypted in some fashion. And I actually have right. a list with little snitch of some of the processes it was using one, I think it was called raccoon for some reason. And I'll have to look into it more, but it, it's a, 
it's a feature that I had never used up until Macworld. I just thought I'd experiment with it and, cool. uh, and it worked uh, swimmingly. Cool. All right, moving on. Moving on to good Bill. tangent. No, that yeah. was, it yeah. wasn't, we've talked about that before. And, and just to close it out, you don't need, there is nothing to configure for this. It, you just plug your router in and it will do it. In fact, there, I don't think there's any way to turn it off. So uh, hopefully that's what you want because mm-hmm. you're going to get it if you have an Apple router. All right. Moving on to Bill. Bill, save us from this tangent. Oh, oh no. Greetings, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. This is Bill from Menlo Park, California. <laughs> Have yet another question on mail. I know it's been a topic of many shows recently. Uh, my question has to do with saving messages. I'm not sure if this has been covered before or not. Anyway, I can save messages on my Mac dragging them out of my inbox into folders that are actually on the Mac in the mail app, or I can save them and organize them on my uh, Google Apps domain, which thanks a lot for that tip of using Google Apps. My pleasure. I can see pluses and minuses with both ways. I'm leaning now towards keeping everything on Google and organizing it there. What do you guys do? What do you think is uh, a, a good system for hanging on to old email messages if you're a pack rat like me? Keep up the good work. Love the show. And remember, don't get caught. Well, thank you, Bill. Bill, Bill, wow. Bill said he was having some guy. fun with GarageBand. Yeah, that's oh. right. Uh, so I am a pack rat like you, Bill, and I have every single email message I've ever sent and received other than spam uh, since 19. You were the first one to send me an email this way, John. And and it, and I got it with Eudora uh, using. My, I think my, I think I have it, too. Yeah, my I, I've saved all account. my emails. Yeah, you have to. OK, so. Uh, and yes, I've moved from email hosting. Email host. Oh wow! We, no, the, the, we can't the, go down that path. Stay on tar- on okay. target. <laughs> uh, so, where are we going with this? Yes, I'm a pack rat. I have all my email, and I too store a lot of my email. I haven't moved my archive up to Google, but but any time since I've moved to using uh, Google Apps, I have left all my mail there. But I think. You can't trust Google and maybe maybe I could stop the statement there, but I'll, I'll continue it. Uh, you can't trust Google to manage to not lose your mail in a guaranteed way. Right. I mean, there, there's always something that could go wrong and you don't want to have a single point of failure, especially not one that's managed by you. But but regardless, you don't want a single point of failure. So what I recommend you do is. Connect to Google with IMAP, or this is what I do, and, and you asked. So connect to Google with IMAP, and then it make sure in mail, go into preferences, accounts, choose your account, and go to the advanced tab, and make sure this setting, which is the default, is set. And that is keep copies of all messages and their attachments for offline viewing. This way, not only is the mail and, and all of your stuff stored on Google, you're keeping a copy of it on your Mac and that copy is stored in the home library mail folder. Uh, and it, it'll be inside of a folder there, a subfolder there that's named after your Google account. So, if, you know, for me, it would probably be, you know, Dave at Mac observer or IMAP dash Dave at Mac or something like that. But it's pretty obvious what it is. And that's where all that stuff is stored. 
I recommend you back that up. Of course, if you're using Time Machine, then that's getting backed up automatically. If you're cloning your entire drive or backing up your entire drive, that's getting backed up automatically. But if you're not, I highly recommend making a copy of that on some other medium. So, so that's what I do. And I feel pretty safe. I've never lost email. I've always had two or three copies of my email ever since I started backing up, which really didn't start until about 1995 because I was an idiot. Uh, and I didn't, well, I didn't start backing up until I almost lost everything that I had. And it was stupid because I had all the means. I knew what I was supposed to do. I'd set it up for clients every day. And I told them they were idiots. If though I didn't usually use the term idiots, but I told them they were idiots if they didn't back up. And then suddenly one Saturday morning, I was the idiot because I hadn't backed up and I couldn't get anything on my disc. But four hours later I did. And ever since that particular day, I have been uh, backing up religiously. And for good reason. So idiot. I, mean, I was an idiot. Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, well, the question was, what do we do? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you what I do. Go. Well, you know, my mail history is pretty simple, Dave, is that I had maintained, uh, and I have emails, but so Eudora was my email platform and I never purged it. Well, you know, except right. for things that need to be purged and deleted like spam and stuff like that. Sure. But basically I went from maintaining Eudora and, as I moved from one OS to the next and a smaller to a larger hard drive, I always just maintained all of my Eudora mailboxes. Right. So I pretty much have every email since I started. I mean, I'm still looking at some of the ones from way back when, once I standardized on mail Eudora. Oh yeah. And now mail, which migrated all that stuff. But yeah, right. I, I still think I have, like I, I think I was looking the other day and I have the email from you saying, Hey, look, I got this uh, Gmail address. <laughs> you know? well, well, it wasn't <laughs> Did Gmail. you get it? Yeah, it was a, it was net net access or portal. I think. Oh no, when, uh, no, but I'm saying I found a message when, when I claimed, you know, my Gmail address. Oh, right. 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 Like, hey, check it out, man. You better get one of the, or I think you told me it's like, Hey, get one, get one quick, you know, reserve yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, but I do want to mention a few things. So one is time machine. You know, this, this is one reason you may want to maintain your, your time machine backup is that it, it will archive your mail. Though, actually, I finally threw in the towel and, I, uh, towel and I finally formatted my time machine because for whatever reason, the SSD I'm checking out here just insisted, even though I thought I cast the right runes to, you know, check the FS events and the UUID, it still insisted on backing up all 200 gigs. So I'm like, ah, you know what? I don't need the stuff from that far back. And I think I have it somewhere else anyways. I, I have another full backup of my hard drive. So. Right, right. Um, but one thing I want to mention, Dave, and I haven't used it in a while, but from what I understand, this is a nice solution, and I believe it works with Mac OS X Mail, something called Mail Steward. Is that the thing have that stores it in FileMaker? Well, I think it, well, it stores it in a database. So I think its purpose okay. in life is to archive your email, but also allow you to search through it. Now, it may allow FileMaker. I, I haven't looked at it okay. in a while. okay. But I remember looking at it at one point, and it'll import your mail and and index it in a in a fashion that will allow it allow you to quickly search through it. So that's one thing I can mention is is Mail Steward, and it still appears to be a current my, product. I found something. My else only called, concern with Mail Steward, and yeah. and I don't know enough about it to actually pass this judgment, but I will anyway. Is you know Mail. Uh, when I start, well, Eudora, when we started with Eudora way back when it stored everything in inbox format, which is very, very common. It actually came from the Unix world. And it, it's how your mail was stored by default on a Unix system before there were any, you know, additional mail clients. Uh, so that was that, that I felt safe with that. 
Right. Because I could all, I knew there was always going to be some way I could get at my mail in, in inbox format. And then it, for, uh, for several iterations, Apple's mail app stored everything in inbox format. But then when they came out with, with uh, not support with spotlight, they needed to have the mail stored in individual files in order for spotlight to index them the way they wanted it to, to work. So they moved to storing it in EMLX format, which is also a fairly standard and also very readable format. I can read it with a text editor. So if I lose mail.app because it, you know, Apple makes it stop working or something, I mean, it would have to be a ridiculous scenario, but yeah, I could still read the messages with just about any text editor. And so I felt okay with that. I, I don't know enough about mail steward, but Perhaps it's using some SQLite or or some other database that that it, it it as long as it's not using a proprietary database, I'd be fine with it. But I haven't I haven't researched it because Mail does fine for me. I don't I don't need um, Mail Steward. So I'm looking over the description and it mentions okay. MySQL. Oh, so if it's using option. MySQL, that's fine. Okay, no problem. So so that's an that uh, off the top of my head is an option. I I did also find something called Mail Archiver ten or X depending on what you want to say here. That's something I, I have not been exposed to, but that, that may be something you want to, uh, you want to explore as well. Cool. All right. Uh, we are moving. Well, we're moving slowly here, but we're sharing a lot of great information. I do want to talk about our second sponsor though. Uh, and that is circus ponies at circusponies.com with notebook, which is a product now, not just for the Mac, but for the iPad. Now, Pete, you are a notebook user. Have you used notebook for the iPad yet? Or, I or just for the I, Mac? I, okay. I, I confess. I want it. I want to get it. <laughs> okay. We'll get it. Uh, so notebook for, let's, let's talk about notebook for the Mac a little bit. Uh, how would you describe notebook for the Mac? Uh, extremely versatile. I mean, if, if you just think of any uh, spiral bound notebook, that you were going to pick up and use with a pencil and you can doodle in it and take notes. Uh, that's great. But with notebook, you can go a step further. You can, it, it'll do a nice to do list, but you can build your tabs down the side. You can uh, import PDFs. You can import video and audio and all those sorts of things. So it will, it will create a, uh, a unified place for all your information that you need. And, and it works really well for classes and that sort of thing. When I upgraded on my airplane last year, I was able to import all the notes and that sort of thing. And by system, you know, here's the electric system, hit that tab and I can study the electrical system, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. It was really nice. Wow. And, and, then, and obviously you customized what those tabs were and what they meant and how ab- that all absolutely. worked. And then, uh, uh, if I found a, uh, particular graphic in uh, the flight manual, useful, which is are available to us in PDF, then I could simply snip and clip that and throw it into the notebook. And Hey, that's the one that I want to use to study because that helps me best understand how the hydraulic system works on this airplane. Sure. That sort of thing. Sure. Very so, cool. Yeah. Very cool. nice setup. Okay. Uh, and, and you know, it doesn't have to be classes. It could be really anything that you're doing. If you're organizing a project, uh, you could build tabs for each phase of the project or each, each member of the team that's working on something. And, and you can search these uh, notebooks that you create by any criteria that you can really come up with. If you know when you put it in, you can search for it. If you know what uh, it was, if you know a keyword, uh, all that stuff is, uh, is available as criteria when you're searching. And then, of course, uh, you have notebook for the iPad. It can be used as a standalone app, but... It can also pull in your notebooks from your Mac. You can edit there, sync them back and forth. 
and uh, and really have this on the go solution that uh, that then syncs back with with everything you've got uh, on your Mac there. Notebook is available uh, for the Mac at CircusPonies.com. You can download a free trial of the Mac version. And uh, and then once you're ready to buy, it's forty nine ninety five for a standard license. And if you are a student of K through uh, I'm trying to think of K through college, I guess uh, it's twenty nine ninety five. So you can save 20 bucks notebook for the iPad. Of course, uh, there is no free trial because the App Store doesn't allow free trials. So it's twenty nine ninety nine and you can just go buy that uh, at the App Store. There is a link from circusponies.com, So you don't have to go and hunt through the App Store to find it. You can just click right there and they'll bring you right there. So that's notebook for Mac and iPad from circusponies.com. All right, let's. Uh, let's go to Travis, John. And uh, and I will read Travis's question for you, if I can, if I may, Mm -hmm. if I shall. And Travis writes, hi, guys, my Mac Pro is a couple years old. I use it primarily for video editing. It is a couple years old and getting a little slow. So what I want to do is pull the system drive out and save it and install a fresh drive do a clean install of my OS and my apps. I'm sure you've covered this, but I'm hoping you can shed some light on the best way to back up the system. But more importantly, once I install the new drive and do the clean install of OS and apps, I would like to bring back only certain things like my email accounts and iTunes library and desktop items. Is there an easy way to do this? All right. Well, again, we'll pass it back and forth, John, but go, go ahead. A loaded question. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm conflicted here, so I'm going to try to address one of the questions, okay. which is, what's the easiest way to back up? And I think that that was that was asked. Right? It was, yes. To me, the best way to back up. Well, I think there there are a few. Now, the one my favorite, Dave, is Carbon Copy Cloner. Sure. So to me, that's the app. That's what I have always used when I want to migrate one system to another system. Well, okay. either to. Mostly to do a full backup, a full bootable backup, because you're going to be copying not only the files you can see in the finder, but all the secret little invisible, you know, and hidden files that right. are part of the system that it needs to boot up. So I use Carbon Copy Cloner. Now, the, when, when this was said, when Travis said this, though, here's one thought that came to my mind, Dave, because it sounds like he has two drives. So he has the old drive that I... Right. So I'm a bit confused here. So he has he has old drive and it's and things are slowing down. Okay, that that that's a given. Sure. Now one thing he could just do, which would speed things up in my opinion, assuming he has the latest OS, is to just take the old drive and back it up using Carbon Copy Cloner to the new drive because as far as I know, what that will do is reorder everything so it's not fragmented anymore. Right? Right. That's right. Yep. So you're going to get a built-in speed boost from that. So, and the new drive is probably going to be faster than the old drive, out of it just spec-wise anyway. Potentially, yeah. potentially. Yeah. So you want to hunt. So you want to look up, you know, through System Profiler, look at the specs on the old drive. You know, to try to like what I did with my MacBook is, you know, I got one that was the same class of drive, but after two or three years, Hitachi came up with a drive that had about twice the performance. So, right. you know, follow the same strategy. If you want to assure though, though I, you know, as long as you get any SATA drive, I mean, what, what was this? A Mac pro? It's a Mac saying? pro. Yeah. He's okay. got all the room in the world in there. Yep. Yeah. And actually I thought that had multiple drive base too. It, it does. So, so yeah. So one of my thoughts was why pl- have an either or here? I right. would say maybe. Yeah. Put the, put the new drive inside the Mac pro, 
So there's a couple of a couple of ways to go with this, right? The, let's talk first and answer his question and then tell him why we think he shouldn't do this. So his question is, how do I clone from how do I copy email, iTunes library and desktop items from my old system drive to this new drive that I've built? And if you want to do that, what you would do is format, put the new drive in, format the new drive, get the OS up and running on it. Make sure no apps are running at this point, but boot, you know, boot from the new drive, but don't run any apps and quit any apps that are running. And then home library mail from your old uh, drive, copy that to the contents of that to home library mail on the new drive. I'm going to assume that you're sticking with the same OS version because that makes life a whole lot easier. If you're not, uh, this might work or it might not, but you've got the old drive to uh, go back to. You're not removing anything from it. You're just copying. So home library mail. Uh, and then for iTunes music, and so you're going to copy home library mail from the old drive to home library mail on the new drive, and you're going to be fine. Uh, for iTunes music, if you go to home music iTunes, simply copy that entire folder from, again, the old drive to the new drive. And then your desktop items is also just home desktop. Copy the contents of that to your new drive. Now, you haven't gotten documents unless you store your documents on the desktop, which you might or you might not. I don't know. Uh, but it's it. You see, the process is similar for all three of these things. It's figure out where it's stored and then just copy it. And you can do that. But as as John was saying, th there might be a better way. Right. Well, I mean, so well, also beyond that. So, so the thing that that made me cringe was. The suggestion, I'm going to reinstall all my apps. Mm. But in my humble opinion, you're creating a lot of unnecessary work for yourself by doing that now true you will get the most pristine system it's going to be fresh there's not going to be any what we refer to as cruft not yep. that i think that that's going to kill you if there's files that are unattached or you know old uh, lingering files and actually a little tangent okay i'm sorry but there are several things that that we use um one i think is called app cleaner yeah. Another one that I use, Dave, is a free one called App Trap, and I think there's another one called App Zapper. There are several applications. Uh, and, and Hazel will do what you're about to describe as well, but go okay. ahead. Yep. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to say is that to avoid building up cruft to begin with, uh, the, the problem is Mac OS X in and of itself kind of sucks at cleaning up after itself. Right. So um, I'll just say that. But when he said reinstalling apps... Uh, and I communicated this to Travis, you are creating so much work for yourself. And I think it's unnecessary. Now yeah. he asked, what's the easiest way to bring my stuff over? Now you, you, you correctly addressed specific applications, Dave. Right. But in my humble opinion, the way that you, the, the easiest way to do this, if he was asking for that is our pal migration assistant. Yeah. He could clone the drive, which is kind of what we were talking about with carbon copy cloner. And you can also do that with disk utility, right? Just use the restore tab and, and pull in, you know, source and destination and get those right. And it'll do it. But I agree with you. Install a fresh OS, run migration assistant and have it slurp over your stuff from the old drive. I, I don't think you're going to be sad. I, I don't no, and so. I, I don't think it's going to bring over much, if any. I mean, well, and, and it's, it's bringing over your preferences and and yeah, it, you know, if you've put apps on there and removed them, there can be stuff and there all there's going to be stuff in uh, home library application support and home library preferences that you not you aren't using anymore. And, you know, I, when I got my current Mac 
MacBook Pro, which is almost three years old. And, and I'm, you know, I'm going to butcher a phrase instead of saved by the bell. It was saved by the SSD. If I hadn't put an SSD in that thing a year and a half ago, I'd have, I'd mm-hmm. already have upgraded. But, but anyway, I did do a clean, uh, I did exactly what Travis is talking about. And, you know, it didn't take that long, but I also didn't see a whole lot of benefit out of it. So, um, I was going to ask now with migration assistant as well, you aren't limited. You can, you can pick one or two apps, pull them over and go, okay, I'm happy with that. Oh, maybe I want another one and pull it over. You can do it multiple times, right? That's go right. Go back and choose the apps, uh, only the apps you want to bring in, right? Can you pick, I think you can pick I, sections, well, but I, I think it, you can get in all your apps. Yeah. No, I think oh, it okay. lets you, uh, as far uh, Based on what I remember when I was helping my mom migrate, mm-hmm. and, and this is where it does a great job, too. I mean, it migrated from an iBook, which is on a Motorola chip, to you know, something that was two or three OSs ahead. I, I believe it only gives you the level of granularity of a user account. And then you can say applications, documents. Right. I don't think it, it lets you get down to oh, okay. specific applications. I, I could be wrong, but... but the. It, uh, I, I just don't recall. Yeah, I don't think. It or, does. or I didn't pick the option. Maybe it was an option I didn't pick it. I just said, you know what? Just bring over all the apps that you can. You know, of course, it didn't bring over the ones that it couldn't. Right. You know, the the legacy stuff or the classic stuff. It didn't bring it over. Or, or it may have brought it over. And when you try to run it, it says, "Duh, you can't run it." Right. And then if you're using stuff like a notebook or Yojimbo, you can be storing all your licenses anyway, and it's easy to reinstall everything. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's not. I don't know. It does, know. Some of the older ones obviously my, gets hard. My know, guess is I'll wind up a with a five-year-old app. Yeah. My guess is I'll wind up with a new laptop or, or main machine this year. And I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with a laptop as my main machine or not, but when I do it, I'll, I'll, I'll have to make this decision. And I, it, my guess is I'll probably just do migration assistant and be done with it. But I don't know. yeah. And I think Travis got back to us and he said, you know, I'm going to give migration assistant a try. Cool. So, so I think he's on, he's on the right path and he's saving himself a lot of time and, and aggravation. All right, so we have a question from Costas. Costas writes, uh, I would like to ask you why you are making the assumption that any NAS network attached storage other than the time capsule is a kludge and may not work properly going forward with Time Machine. You've made this statement in a couple of shows recently. I've personally set up two instances of non-time capsule NASs, and in both cases, they work flawlessly and faster than any time capsule installation I've ever seen at an equivalent or slightly lower cost than a single two gigabyte to terabyte time capsule. In both cases, the NAS servers were Synology DJ 211 S's with two two gig 7200 RPM drives set up as RAID zero hardwired into a router with gigabit Ethernet ports. In the case of Synology and in the case of a few other companies, including Western Digital, they specifically state that their NASs are time machine compatible. Western Digital model is the MyBook World Edition. I don't have the slightest clue as to what all the legalese is regarding that a piece of equipment is time, chap- time machine compatible. But if this was not the case, I would have thought Apple Legal would have been all over the company stating time machine compatibility. Is it possible that Apple has started to license whatever technology is in Time Machine to manufacturers of NAS server hardware? Is it possible that there's a way to easily reverse engineer the Time Machine protocols and that this might be the way Synology, Western Digital, et al. are receiving compatibility? Is there any way to indicate a clear indication from Apple on this? Uh, You want to take this one, John, and we'll pass it back and forth a little? Uh, Is there any way to get a clear indication from Apple? No. Well, that's not true. Moving on. No, no. So so I'll start to address it. And yeah, we'll we'll ping pong this back and forth here. If you want to do ping pong or tennis, I don't know what you prefer. (laughs) We'll figure it out. (laughs) Um, 
badminton. Yeah. All right. We'll all keep right. the ball in the air. Go. All right. My hesitation, and I and I think the, the reason that I've cautioned in the past, Dave, is that Apple specifically discourages you from a certain configuration. Right. And and but so maybe I'm I'm being a bit overcautious here in cautioning. But the one that Apple specifically says you should not do, and there's a support article, HT twenty thirty eight saying time machine doesn't back up to airport extreme airport disks. What's an airport disk? That of course is a USB drive that you connect to a time capsule or a airport extreme. Now, because Apple says in this article, they do not support. Now, oddly enough, they claim they'll support it hooked to a time capsule, but right. not an airport extreme. So because of that, and then there, there's endless articles. I think we, we've done a few as well. There's a magic a setting that you can set saying, all right, support unsupported drives and it'll work. Um, and I think for the most part, like, yeah, when I set up my mom's machine, it actually worked. I got, got her a refurb airport extreme plugged in a USB drive. And I, I don't even think I had to set the magic flag. It, it just kind of worked. The time machine saw it. But right. so my caution. So that's one reason that I'm hesitant to so, recommend non-Apple solutions, these, but another, or, or go ahead. Yeah, these third parties, though, they, they actually have, some of them have worked with Apple to ensure that this is going to work. I remember when I met with Lassie, even as far as, you know, last last March at South by Southwest Interactive, uh, you know, they were showing me their kind of NAS solutions. And they said, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we're totally time machine compatible and Apple is is good with it. And, you know, Western Digital has the same thing. I think there was a problem with the airport extreme itself uh, with the way it dealt with USB mm-hmm. drives. And I, I think that was part of the problem. Uh, you know, the new Drobo, right? The, the Drobo FS actually has a it's really cool. Uh, as we all know, Time Machine will eat up all the space that you give it. And of course, with a Drobo, it doesn't matter how many drives you have in there. It's going to announce that it's 16 terabytes in size or something. And you don't want it doing that. But uh, you can actually, in their little admin utility, compartmentalize a a, a, a chunk of your FS and say, or even your Drobo S and say, hey, you know, only use this uh, this little bit and and max out it, you know, whatever three hundred gigs or or whatever you want for uh, for this machine. So you could actually compartmentalize multiple computers all on the same Drobo. It's pretty cool, and and these are all things that work. Perfectly fine now with with uh, with time machines. So so, yeah, you, you want to be careful using an airport extreme because Apple still says that those don't work. But but otherwise, if, if the manufacturer says it works, it works, you know, so. Yeah. Right. And that was my feedback. Now, the other caution I'll have, Dave, is that. NAS or network attached storage. Yep. You want to be careful. Now, if the if the vendor says it works with Time Machine, then I'm going to trust they do everything everything properly. Right. But I also found, and then this was in the back of my mind, but I, I brought it to the surface, and, and actually I have a reference. Another Apple article, TS fifteen fifty, and and this is the one that makes me cautious about some NASs or or some different hard drives. Uh, and and this one's titled Time Machine stops backing up to external disk. Whoops. Well, how could that be? And here, and, and I'll just uh, summarize the article here. After about 10 gigabytes or more of data is backed up to an external disk, Time Machine may stop backing up. This may happen the first time Time Machine backs up your files. Resolution. So here's the caution and why you want to make sure that somebody explicitly says this works. Here's the resolution. Some hard drives ship with master boot record or MBR partition type. For these disks, you will need to change the partition type. Right. 
So, so the caution here is that you may have a disk. And so I guess you can select a disk, whether it be a NAS or a directly connected drive that is using MBR partition type, and it'll appear to work for a little while and then it'll just roll over after 10 gigabytes. Right. So, yeah, no, you need to be using HFS plus, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot right. of criteria, <clears throat> but it, again, and, and that's why, you know, uh, you, you need to make sure the manufacturer knows that you're doing this with time machine right. And, right. and you've chosen not just using a device, but using it in the way that the manufacturer tells you to use it with time machine. And, you know, the thing is you, you can, let's say you have an MBR uh, drive and for whatever reason you want to set up your time machine to that you can, but you've got to, you've got to jump through some hoops and create a sparse bundle that is HFS plus and, and then pump your backups into that. That actually works. And then you can store that sparse bundle on probably any file system it'll sit on mm. and it would work. Mm. But now Apple's, th- this is something that Apple engineers will, you know, off the record tell you is fine, but th- they're never going to tell you it's okay in a public way or even support it because they, you know, that's, that's not how Apple works, right? They're not a, they're not a hack and slash company. They're a, we come up with an elegant solution and you use it company. But uh, yeah, but that's our job. Right. But that's our job. Yeah. And so you can you can create that sparse bundle and and then, you, you know, store inside that and then you're inside Apple's environment. Right. And it and it will work fine. But you got to set that up yourself. So. Uh, all right. Where are we? Let's move to more here. Let's move to Ollie. Let's, okay. We're talking about right. we talked about Drobo. Ollie has a, a Drobo question. And uh, so he writes, I'm very interested in a Drobo FS with three times two terabyte or three, two terabyte Seagate drives, uh, as we like having two bays free for later use. Our only issue is that we currently have no spare Ethernet ports on our time capsule. The two ways around this that I see are one to get the Drobo S with uh, with USB connection uh, with the three, two terabyte drives or get a network switcher router so that we can use the gigabit speed. I'm looking at using the Drobo to back up all our media. We have a Mac mini, uh, which is used as a home media center. So it'll access the Drobo the most, but two MacBooks will also need to access wirelessly. I think I remember on a podcast being said that the Drobo FS manages the data where the Drobo S on the Mac would manage it and that it's best or safer to let the Drobo manage the data itself. Your advice would be uh, greatly appreciated. Okay. Uh, definitely spend the money and it's not much money. I think for about 30 bucks, you can get a gigabit switch. What you've run out of ports on your, on your, uh, on your time capsule. And that's fine. If you just get even a five port switch bridge, two of the, you know, bridge one of those ports to one of the ports on your, uh, on your time capsule. So now you'll have three left on your time capsule and four left on your five port switch. And really, I think, I think I bought one for like 30 bucks and Nick, your gigabit five port switch. So you've doubled your ports. Uh, it's not, entirely the most efficient thing but uh but you're gonna get the speed you want you'll be you'll be fine and yeah you know somebody else emailed me and asked about why i felt like the uh drobo fs was a better uh, safer option safer from file system corruption than uh than something else where your mac is managing the data so here's my thought file system corruption is going to happen no matter what it happens to all of us on all of our drives. Uh, it happens constantly. If you are storing, if you have a Drobo connected to your Mac, your Mac is responsible for setting up the file system, formatting it, creating the the files out there, and managing the file system. 
The Drobo, however, is doing all of its magic and spanning stuff across multiple drives and all of that stuff. But if your Mac corrupts the file system, the Drobo has no idea that what the Mac is telling it to do is bad. In fact, it's going to go out of its way and do its job to ensure that that corrupted file system that your Mac tells it to use is stored pristinely in its corrupted state and everything's going to be fine. And the Drobo is not going to proactively look at that drive and make sure you don't have any file system corruption. It will make sure that you don't have any data corruption, but it's only storing the data that the Mac tells it to store in the way the Mac tells it to store it. Now, the networked versions of the Drobo, like the Drobo FS, have manage their own stuff because they aren't connected to a Mac. You just play all they have is a gigabit ethernet port. You plug it into your network and it manages everything, right? So not only is it doing the magic of spanning all the disks, but it's managing the file system too. And it's regularly just like it's regularly looking at the disks to make sure that there's no problems happening there, or it's dealing with any problems that are, it's also managing the file system. On top of that, it's not connected to a computer that could have its power yanked from it or whatever could happen that's going to either cause or exacerbate file system damage. So, so for those reasons, I think an FS is better. You also get better management of how it's all set up and uh, you're not tied to a specific Mac. You can just plug it in uh, wherever you want. So, so there, there's my, there's my advice to you. Spend the extra, you know, 30 bucks to get the, uh, to get a network switch Ollie, and, uh, and you'll be good to go. Any, any thoughts on that, John? Did I, did I, did I explain my, my reasoning clearly there? I, I think so. Okay, cool. I, uh, I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta look into one of these, uh, Drobo things. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I, I, I have, yeah, you, you, they're, they're fun. They're good. You can, you can hook me up. I might be. Or they can hook me up. Well, I, I, I might have an extra one that, uh, if I, if I do, then I'll, really? I'll send it your way. I might, I don't, don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, we got a show to do here. Should we finish the show? And then maybe tomorrow we talk about that. Uh, yeah. What next? Oh man. We, again, we got too much stuff here. We I have did, too much stuff. Yeah. How are we doing on time, John? Oh, we're, we're at, okay. Minutes. So we, you know what? Uh, we're going to do two, two things. We're going to do, uh, we'll do three. We'll do Simon, Jerry and Matt because they're going to be pretty quick. And these are things we can, we can get to. Uh, Simon, Simon. All right, all right, sure. Simon sure. says. Simon Sorry, says. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because I didn't put Simon in my. I got to go get Simon's comment here, but I found it. Okay, Simon writes, longtime listener to the show. Uh, my question is for John. Hi, John. How you doing? That's actually Hi. not his question. Hi. That was my question to you. Uh, Simon uh, writes, I'm doing I have the same MacBook Pro early 2008 as you guys and have just received a four gigabyte memory module with the aim of upgrading the machine to six. I've trawled websites and forums for the answer, but in the back of my mind, I can hear John saying that it made a difference as to which slot you put the bigger module. Is this true? I could obviously try it both ways, but I'd rather not put unnecessary stress on these parts if possible. All right. Uh, so go. My professor. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I did, Dave. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you what I did. Same question. Not well, that long you know, ago. <laughs> I, I could cut to the chase and say, I don't know. Right. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you a situation where it does make a difference. But in this case, here's what I did, Dave. And here's my reasoning. But I think it's flawed because the, the, the more I think about it being a, you know, having pieces of paper that 
say I know about computers. My thought was, well, you know, I'm going to put the four gig chip in bank zero, which in the MacBook Pro is the bottom most one if the machine is upside down. And I'll put the two gig because my assumption is it's going to use the four gigs first and the two gigs. And but but, you know, that's the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, that's just silly. The thing is, from the computer's point of view, as far as I know, the memory controller does not care which chip is where it sees it as six gigabytes and that's it. So I'm going to say, unless someone either knows more about the memory controller in the MacBook uh, Pro than I do or knows how they handle it, I'm going to say if they are different memory chips, it makes absolutely no difference where you put them. Yeah. I, I, I am. I, I don't think it matters. I uh, if right. If they're different, I don't think it matters. Yeah. If yep. they're the same. And this is a very quick oh. discussion here. We've yep. talked about this before. Now, if they're the same that, well, one, it doesn't matter where you put them. But if they are the same, then our machine, Dave, as well as several other Macs can benefit from something called dual channel or interleaving. And then if they're the exact same size, then I think what happens essentially is the data bus is expanded. And based on what I've seen in various reports, now it's good news, bad news. The good news is that you're probably going to see a system performance boost of about 6 to 8%. The bad news is that getting more RAM is, uh, based on these same reports, is a better solution than getting a matched pair of RAM. Right. So if it's between getting two 2 gig chips for 4 gigs or getting 6 gigs in, in the class machine we have, Dave... I would choose getting the six gigs as, as Simon did. And yeah. so, so again, if anybody knows more about the memory controller, I, I mean, sometimes it's hard to get this info, but, but again, I don't think the memory controller really does what I was suspecting and that it says, Oh, I'm going to put everything in the four gig chip and just not use the two gig and, and save time and energy and stuff. I, I don't think it happens. It, I don't think it, it matters. It sounds cool, but yeah, interesting. I have, but, but I don't I think that's mine, the way it happens. I put my four gig chip in the, easiest to access slot i didn't pull in the topmost in the topmost yeah so so your two gig is in slot zero correct and you're for uh, yeah and yeah all right so uh i'm going to apologize to our our premium listeners for a duplicate discussion here because we did run through this uh in our last premium show and for those of you who aren't premium subscribers let us tell you you ought to become a premium subscriber you get a couple of things number one you get access to the entire archive of uh of what we've done here at Mac Geek Gab, so you can go back and, and listen Everything? to the shows. Everything back to Everything. one back to one. one. Yeah, for wow. better or for worse. Oh, I don't want to listen to that. I know. Uh number two, you get two extra episodes of Mac Geek Gab per month uh that John and I record and uh and of course send out. You have access to the premium at MacGeekab.com email uh address for questions and, and all of that good stuff. And you get the feeling uh, that is warm and fuzzy and, and, and just a, a, a beautiful glow about you uh, that you get from uh, <laughs> you can only get from supporting your two favorite geeks. It's 25 bucks for six months of all of that uh, and more. So uh, so that said, I did mention something at our cool stuff found show at Macworld Expo. And I said I was going to get to it before the end of that show. Of course, we ran out of time, so I couldn't. And that was. I, for Macworld Expo, used an extended battery pack on my iPhone 4, and it worked really well. I've had extended battery packs from from various companies over the years for different iPhones. Uh, this one was from a, uh, a company called Techeon, T-E-K-K-E-O-N. It was the My Power battery pack for uh, for the iPhone. It's 79 bucks. It's a 1200 milliamp battery so it's just slightly smaller than the battery that's inside the iphone so it nearly doubles the uh, size 
It's really smooth. It, it's all encompassing. For those of you that saw the video, you can see it kind of snaps apart. Uh, but it's a really smooth thing. It was very comfortable in my pocket all week. And it's got a couple of uh, interesting features that, that are on, available on some of the other newer battery packs, too, uh, but, but are new to the, to the class. And that is uh, you can turn the battery on and off. So you're not always just draining from that battery. Uh, you can kind of use it as a, a safety catch and, and turn it on when, when you want. So you know when you're using it. In addition, when you're using it, it is not charging the phone. It's powering the phone. So what I was doing last week was, or yeah, I guess it was a hmm. week ago. I, I was letting it, uh, letting my phone use its own battery. You know, I'd charge them both up and it does. It has a little uh, you know, micro USB port on it. Uh, and that will charge the phone and then the battery. So it, you can, and you can sync with iTunes via that USB. It's totally, you know, fully compatible. Uh, what I would do is I'd let my phone get down to about 60%, maybe 50%. And then I'd kick on the battery and that way I'd run through the battery. And I think one day I actually did wind up using uh, all of the extended battery, but then I knew, okay, well, even when that ran out, I've still got half of my phone's battery left. So it, I, I kind of knew, you know, it, it's just a nice little staged system that I was able to use. And it kept me aware of, of where I was with uh, with all that various yeah. stuff. So so that's the uh, Techion uh, 79 bucks. And you can buy additional battery packs for it, too. Uh, I think for like 30 bucks or something, too. So yeah. you can. Yeah, you can charge them all up and then just pop them in and and, uh, and it works. So curious what the battery performance is going to be like on the Verizon iPhone. See, Every, is it CDMA versus GSM? Everybody and, that has one uh, has said that it's a, it's almost exactly the same as, oh. as the, uh, as the GSM one, okay. which is surprising. No, given, now what do you get? What do you get? Um, standby and talk time or, or should we, I don't, I don't well, know. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll tell people later. because as yeah. far as I know, it's in the future, but I should get it tomorrow. So cool. Anyways, what's, what's next? All right. Last question is for you, Pete. I'm here. Ooh. And it's good. It's from Matt. And it's actually a question that, that, uh, that we all love to discuss. Uh, he says, where is the question? Do I not have the question? Did you I, lose it? I did. Oh, it. No. I lost it. All well, right. No, wait, so I, think I have it. So, wait, do I have no, it? I have the PDF. Of I it. have it. Okay. Can you read Matt's question? Oh, no. You don't have Matt's question. <laughs> No, I, Matt, I have the email from Pete saying yes. I, I will have an answer that's the next right. time I'm in town. That's oh, right. No. Okay, so uh, Matt's question essentially rescue. was, what is the deal with having to turn off our electronics during takeoff and landing in an airplane? Is it really, is there a technical reason for this that you know no. or, or or what? And so we're going to let we're gonna let Pete answer. Yeah, because, I want to know that too yeah, because exactly. that, that's bothered me go well there's there's a couple short answers the, okay the, the one short answer is remember that the world is run by lawyers right okay so uh, there's some liability issues there okay. um possibly possibly sure and, of course and, and the other one is that the uh uh let me adjust that so i'm not breathing into it uh the other answer is uh because i said so remember your mom and dad telling you that one because I said so. The uh, the captain on the airplane has, is the ultimate authority. He's right. judge, jury, and executioner. And um, uh, all the crew members have to do what he says. And uh, by uh, by proxy or delegation, they, they, the crew is his proxy. Sure. And by telling you to turn off but your stuff, 
um, you have to do what they say. So even if it wasn't a regulation, and it is, by the way, uh, right. even if it wasn't a regulation, if the, yeah, like I had a, uh, an iPhone on one day and the flight attendant was coming around and she goes, you need to turn that off. So I put it in the airplane mode and she goes, that's not good enough. I'm like, you know, I had that too. I was on yeah. a U.S. Airway yeah. nightmare flight and she said, by the way, airplane mode is not good enough. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's the point not of airplane off. mode. It's not good enough. And you know what? 99.99% <laughs> of the time it is because they don't see it. And they, right. if they don't see it, they don't care. Well, because airplane but, mode shuts off the RF, right? right. But not the electronics. Right. right. Oh. So she saw it. She said, that's not good enough. Uh, the fact that I'm a captain on another airline has no bearing on the matter. She is directing me to mm. do something, and I, I had to do it. There's, okay. You know, now I could have argued. Well, but, but, but let me tell gonna... you, you, you know, that's that's an argument you're not going to win. Uh, oh well, no, you are supposed to, as you said, you have to follow the rules that's the rule. of the that, crew and, that's, and that the captain. That in itself is a law that you have to follow but, what they say. So, so for the there... set jet blue guy, you know, he he. he Blew his own career because all he had to do was go, hey, Captain, need to have law enforcement meet us at the gate. And the gal who sure. hit him in the head with mm. the suitcase would have had a whole <laughs> lot worse day than he did. Right. So, but is <laughs> but, there, it, to your knowledge, and, and of course, I do understand that A, yeah. the, the world's run by lawyers, and B, it is a regulation, but it and, is. And there's, and, and, and here's where it goes back. Here's where it, is there I a looked, technical in the research. For this? Yeah, I, I did some research on this, and it, it dates back to 1961. Um, the the, uh, the one I'm thinking of is FAR. Uh, no, it was, uh, I read it in Advisory Circular 91.21-1, and that goes back to 1961. Yep. Um, now that's a 1996 one, but back in or 93, back in 61. Um, it became more and more popular instead of just using um, like the AM band and ADFs, they were using v- VORs, which are very high frequency, omni range directional finders with DME and that kind of stuff. If you've ever set two FM radios next to each other and played with them, if you have one down at say 92, then somewhere up around 99 or 100, you're going to be with the other one, you turn them both on, you're going to be able to blank out the signal, the right. receiving signal on the one. And that was the the initial one where they went, oh, we may have a problem here. It may interfere with navigation, that sort of thing. <gasps> okay. So the regulation actually says it, it, it prohibits all, 121.306 pr- prohibits all electronic on board being used except for, and it names these four things, portable voice recorders, hearing aids, pacemakers, and electric shavers. And then so it's, I can yeah, I can shave can during shave. takeoff. <laughs> Apparently, you can shave during takeoff. This is going to be great. But, and then uh, and then other such items uh, as, uh, <laughs> as 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 the as the certificate holder, and that's the airline may designate. And that's where I said sure. it, the world is run by lawyers. Now the certificate holder can then test and verify and those sorts of things. But remember, you don't have to prove to a, to you don't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a cell phone caused an airplane to crash. You just have to convince a jury that it might have caused an airplane to crash and the liability lands all on the airline. So they're not willing to get to, to go on those lines. Now, now, now the some, airplanes are better shielded and all that. There's European airlines that allow cell phones constantly. Yeah. So, and they don't fall out of the sky. No, and they're well shielded. And, right. and, you know, the newer airlines, they you know, an older 737 or GC9 or something like that may not be uh, as as well shielded from this type of RF interference. And it's going to use more VORs and that sort of thing instead sure. of the, the GPS and the high, high whiz-bang navigation that we're using now. Right. But I've seen a GPS. I have personally seen a handheld GPS unit screw with the electronics on board an Airbus. <gasps> okay. okay. 
Because so, okay. I'm looking, Pete, here. So I'm looking, for example, now I'm doing a cursory search here on Wikipedia. But as far as I can tell, GSM is at either 900 or maybe 1800 megahertz. And I think CDMA oh, oh, okay. is potential. You know, I'm talking to yeah, a yeah, cell phone. Yeah. Right, right, right. Cell phones, I think, are at 900 or 1800. And I think CDMA may be at 2.4 gigahertz. But as far as I know, none of those overlap with any of the navigation frequencies no, at least the, the RF generally ones. speaking they don't and then and then and here and that's why you get to use it above 10,000 feet uh, and I'll get into that here in just a second okay. too but uh, again remember it's the certificate holder says and you know they have to test it and all that and it becomes an issue of you know now is there quarter wavelength and half wavelength interference right. going on and all kinds of really whiz bang physics that right, right, right. that make it interesting mm. Um, but you know, now they say, all right, here's, here's where the FAA and the airlines have basically come to an agreement. They go, look, we got passengers, you know, they want to use their computers. They want to use their, their gaming mode and that kind of stuff. And the same thing applies to pilots. No talking below 10,000 feet. If it ain't flight safety related, we don't talk about it above 10,000 oh. feet. Talk all day long. You, you're and they're building in that buffer, that margin for error. So if there is so even issue, in the cockpit, there's no idle chatter before no. 10,000 feet. No. Okay. Oh, no. because taxi, no, the taxi. Of course, general aviation, that's a whole different story. That's right. Because <laughs> I thought it was a scam, Pete, because on my recent flight, or at least the, uh, the my return flight that was uneventful, I was on a four-hour flight, and I actually bought GoGo in-flight. Yeah. It was 12 yeah. bucks for four hours, but I'm like, well, wait, if if RF is bad, then why are they allowing? Well, there was, yeah, was really an extensive that's testing. That's installed into the airplane, yeah, and they've Understood. done extensive testing and and. and Proven that okay, it will and it was not cool. interfere. And it, it wasn't speedy, it but it uh, but yeah. it uh, it did uh, it 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 was better than nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So so because so, there was a move a couple of years ago, apparently uh, in the FAA to to get rid of the cell phone ban above ten thousand feet. Right. And and of course it was shot down because everybody said uh, we don't want the guy next to be yeah screaming his into his phone. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. I, I appreciate the uh, the the insight and your candor, Pete. That's uh, it's it's good to hear about. I, you know I had no idea that you pilots were also in a completely mm-hmm. different mode below ten thousand. Yeah. Feet. It's called sterile cockpit. Okay. And any time that the sterile. parking brake is released, you go sterile mm. cockpit. No no talking unless it's flight safety related. Sure. During taxi takeoff and landing. Huh? Okay. And, well, and, now, it, and the exception to that is cruise, say, at 8,000 feet. If you're cruising at 8,000 feet and you need to talk about something. It, sure. You know, but, it's a, right, but it's cruise right, right. flight. It's cruise flight. It's yeah, not takeoff. It's, it's not landing. not the center. The center. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess the, that's also true in general aviation. I, mean, I don't know that it's a regulation. It, it, but it's, it's smart money. You know, I don't know if it's a part flying. 91. It's definitely 121 requirement, but it's yeah. just smart flying. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't distract yourself because right. it's too easy to overlook something. That's right. Yeah. Cruising flight, much yeah. different. Yeah. Any one of us could could hold an airplane. Well, we couldn't hold an airplane and cruise. We'd all uh, gain altitude because we at, at steady altitude, it looks like we're aiming toward the ground and we'd all have the tendency to pull up. Exactly. So I think you hit on it, Dave, yeah. is, you know, people are annoying enough in my day-to-day uh, uh, activities on their cell phones. Yeah. The first time I had GoGo in flight was before they had all these regulations about what you couldn't use it for. And so, the, of course, the oh, first thing I did was no. I called my brother on Skype with a video chat because I wanted to see if it would work. And, of course, it worked. And it still works, even though they say they block it. You can't block Skype. 
And uh, and the first thing he told me was, you know, uh, that woman a row back and on the other side of the aisle, uh, she is not happy at all that you are video chatting with me because <laughs> he could see her in the in the wide angle. So, all right. Uh, Speaking about video chat, not video. You know, we're going to get low tech here, Dave. Go. I'm going to get the lowest tech possible. Go. You want to get in touch with us? How can you do it? You you could pick up this this ancient device called a telephone, and you can dial it with your finger or maybe touch tones, and you can call <laughs> voice 206. dial baby. Well, you could voice dial, but no matter how you do it, Dave, you would call 206-666-GEEK, which is... 4335. Uh, we advancing on the food chain here. That's right. You can email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. And you know, you totally screwed that up, Dave, because I would email feedback at macgeekgab.com. Feedback. And make it get get it. <laughs> no, no, don't get it. back at MacGeekGab.com. You're out of here. You're out. Get it. <laughs> well, you know, I passed him the baton during the, uh, oh, the, he, the, the, the circus ponies ad, and he did great with it. So, you know, we can give him a pass he, on that No, one. he dropped That's right. it. That's right. I get it. he dropped it. I get it. Skype. Skype well, to Mac How Geek about Geek Skype? MacGeekGab. And you can do that from an airplane, but you're not supposed to. Uh, although you could leave an audio comment and no one would be the wiser. So uh, Except for the dude next to you who heard you yakking into his ear. Try your new Verizon iPhone and do it. There you go. That's right. Uh, you can leave us comments on iTunes, but of course we can't respond. And, uh, and Twitter. I'm Dave Hamilton. That guy's John F. Braun. That guy's Pilot Pete. The show is MacGeekGab. MacObserver is MacObserver. Uh, we'd like to thank Michael Johnston, who is Michael Johnston on Twitter. Uh, he's also the host of the We Have Communicators podcast, and he converts this show to AAC for us and for you. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth, and the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Notebook from Circus Ponies, PDF Pen from Smile, and Yojimbo from Barebone Software, all through Backbeat Media. And folks, that is it. We are out of here. We will see you. Well, I don't know when we'll see you. But you'll hear from us next week, and we'll hear from you before then, because you're going to send in all your questions and comments, and uh, we'll prep them and, and do what we can with them, all in the interest of helping you out. And plus, we love it. So thank you for uh, subscribing, participating, and allowing us to continue doing this after almost, it's been almost six years. So Wow. And over all these years, Dave, you know, I'm so proud that neither of us have gotten caught. 